right. You guys are listening to the Flickers podcast. I'm Jesse Grant, joined here with my co-host, John Grant. How have you been, John? I'm good. Good. I'm very excited for this for this interview to come yeah. out. You know, we've been holding on to it for a few weeks now. Yeah. It's exciting. It's pretty cool. And and I've even scheduled the post for tomorrow where it's going to release and say um, that the interview's coming out, whatever, because we record the intro on a Thursday and tomorrow's Friday when we release the interviews with. And when I was writing the um, the post, I was like, this is so sick that we actually interviewed this guy and we interviewed mm. Andre because yeah. like I even wrote in the post that when I was 11 years old, you were 19, um, we were watching his films and we were like really enjoying his films like Blue Valentine. And it was like, it's just insane that we were watching the film, would have no idea that 10 years later we'd have a podcast and we would get to interview him. Like, it's crazy, especially you being at film school and being a fan of his films. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, like we probably should mention who we've, I know. <laughs> we've got. Yeah. Um, this guy, this, the cinematographer, Andre Parekh, who's, he, he's an amazing guy, Andre. Um, he's really gracious with his time. He has a, like a really great um, insight into performances and, um, he shot a few great ones, specifically uh, Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams in um Blue in Blue Valentine, also Ryan Gosling and Half Nelson, and both mm. both of those movies have performances in them where they've been nominated for Oscars. Mm. And it was also interesting to talk to him about you know Succession, exactly. and um, yeah. being nominated for an Emmy for that too, which yeah. and he won the Emmy, so it was an first amazing time, first time directing, and he won an Emmy for it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know he's he's an amazing guy and. You know, I was I'm heavily influenced by him in a lot of the imagery that I like and movies that I like. I think his the tone that he sets through his through his cinematography really influences me. Yeah, he's really a talent and it was such an honor to speak to him. And you guys will really take a lot from this interview. You know, we talk to him about so much and he gives us great insight into kind of the always the search for truth and the search for meaning as an artist. And I think he has a very unique view on art and it's very pure. He's not kind of worried about metrics. He's not worried about how it's going to be received. All he's worried about is just being truthful and being honest and just giving out the best art he can and just doing good work. And I I think it's really refreshing to hear that, especially in today's day and age. And so if you guys are here listening for Andre, we'll get to that interview in a second. But first, uh, I just want to let you guys know that we've been loving all the engagement you guys give us. And we really, really enjoy when you guys communicate with us and, and comment things and give us recommendations and stuff. So we really enjoy that. And if you guys want to follow us on Instagram, it is Flickers Podcast. Um, if you guys want to subscribe and watch us on YouTube, you can subscribe at the Flickers Podcast or on Twitter at Flickers Podcast. And we've also started our Patreon, which is the Flickers Podcast as well. If you guys want to sign up and see more exclusive behind the scenes clips and, and content and some Q&As, sign up to that and that will be linked below. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. So we're joined here with Andre Parekh. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, guys. I've just got to say before we start the questioning, um, I was a massive fan of you when I was in, in film school. I actually, um, I remember one time I went to the film library and I found Blue Valentine and I was just in love with the cinematography of it all. And um, one of the shots from the film was like my backdrop for my desktop and my cover photo for Facebook and everything. So like it was for ages for a long time. So I was going to say, it's like a real honor to, to, to talk yeah. to you and to interview you. Yeah. You guys are going to make me blush. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so the first question, um, you, you, as of today, you're a really established director in succession and Watchmen, and you're also a very established cinematographer, but you started off being a cinematographer. What led you to becoming um, a, cinematogra- a cinematographer and led down that path? Um, tricky question. I, uh, when I was in university, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, my father, who was Indian, wanted me, me to be either a doctor or an engineer. Um, and I grew quickly dissatisfied with uh, that possibility. So I left school for a year, dropped out, um, traveled around the world uh, with a still camera and that's when i developed love for the visual world 
basically the, the still camera became my medium uh, for connection uh, to people. I think I'm a bit shy, so it was much easier for me to look at someone through the lens than maybe interact with them. Um, and then quickly started getting into film and finished university with a minor in uh, film like media studies, uh, which was basically film theory and a little bit of like lousy production, uh, making really bad short films. <laughs> and then went to NYU for grad school. Uh, and there I didn't really know what a cinematographer was. I didn't know the difference between a cinematographer and director. I just knew that I wanted to make film. And it became quickly evident that uh, I had no vocabulary to speak to actors. And I was actually quite terrified of them. And that sort of led to my interest in cinematography, not as a reaction to actors, but, you know, it was a medium that I felt that I had more control over. I could control or could understand at least. Mm. And, and your films are very raw and have, a, have an honest feel behind them. And I was wondering if um, growing up, if you were into cinema and film and those were the type of films that you liked, ones that were very raw and in a way just not perfect, and, but that was sort of the, perfe- the perfection. Um, yeah, is that yeah. your favourite type of movie? No, I mean, I grew up on, you know, Star Wars and E.T. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, Star Wars at five, I remember watching E.T. at 11. <clears throat> and uh, being profoundly moved by particularly E.T., um, and so cinema for me became about a search for human truth. Uh, and I think that through the, like that search, I think is reflected in my cinematography, I hope, um, where it's really much more for about the performance and the actors than about, you know, beautiful lighting. Mm. Um, but you know, beautiful lighting doesn't hurt. <laughs> You know, that search for the truth really comes through in um, definitely like Half Nelson as well. How did, how did you come about that project? Uh, that was offered to me by um, a pair of NYU undergrads who had seen a lot of short films that I'd shot. Uh, during my time at NYU, I shot 50 short films, sort of. It really, I took film school in as a, a really an opportunity just to sort of try and master a craft. And so I was shooting as many films as possible. Uh, you know, at that point we were still shooting 16 and 35, um, mainly 16, but video came very late in my sort of film school career around, uh, I graduated in 2001, which is a, an epoch ago, <laughs> but you know, the digital revolution came in 99, 2000, 2001. And so, you know, primarily our tools were film. Right. And um, I guess while you were at film school in NYU, you said you shot 50 films. Many directors and cinematographers we've talked to before have said that um, they tried to fail as much or they wish they even failed more while they were there so they could learn more from their movies. Um, when you were at film, uh, film school, I wonder if you were sort of, of the mindset that you were shooting for a studio and you didn't want to fail or did you purposely go out there to try new things and be a risk taker? I mean, you know, every, I hope I didn't screw up too many people's projects <laughs> trying to learn. Um, you know, every project I wanted to try, maybe try something new, but something that was still uh, required by the script. You know, you it was really for me script based and then the visual medium was in support of that. Uh, that being said, you know, we, we were bleach bypassing film. We were underexposing by two stops. You know, we're taking like pretty huge risks, you know, and on film it's, I think a little bit more risky than in, in video, maybe, but now, but every film project that I did when I was in film school 20 years ago. And, and on Half Nelson, you collaborated with Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden, and that's yes. been a kind of um, ongoing creative relationship. How has that progressed and how important is that to you to have that, that ongoing creative relationship? 
you know, it was um, it was an amazing. We were, we made four films together. Um, Half Nelson, then a film, baseball film called Sugar, then sort of all of our first studio movie, which was called It's Kind of a Funny Story, uh, with Zach Galifianakis. And the last one was Mississippi Grind. Mm. I didn't get, I didn't have the chance to shoot their Marvel movie, but uh, I was doing something else. But, you know, it was, it was really a wonderful way. It was, it's amazing working with people that you know, whose tastes you understand because you don't have to really speak. You know, you just, you know it and then you can just do it. And, you know, the time for me of pre-production is always very important because that's the time you get to understand a director and a director's mind. Um, you really, as a cinematographer, need to understand the taste, their taste, and what the project is you're making together to not be asking those questions on set when they're being bombarded by a thousand other questions. So with Ryan and Anna, you know, we really, we knew each other. Um, we knew each other very well. And, you know, it was always that we were working towards the same end goal, which was making a very meaningful, beautiful film. Mm. And did you feel that connection as soon as you guys started that, that you guys would instantly connect and, and work well creatively together? Yeah, you know, the, the interview process for me is really important. Uh, when, when I'm being interviewed by directors because you're spending a huge amount of time with that person, uh, him or her on set. You know, you, you tend to know them better than, you know, in the span of a feature film, you probably you know them better than people you've known for 20 years just because you spend so much intimate time with them. And, you know, I knew immediately, you know, I, have a, I think I have a good sense for, for people and I knew immediately with them, uh, that we'd be, we'd get along, you know, if the jokes come easily and the, and you feel at ease and you know that you can spend a lot of time with that person. And you also got to work, uh, work with Ryan Gosling on Half Nelson. What was it like yeah. to watch him shape the character and to go through that journey? You know, it was, um, I had the chance with Ryan to do two movies with him, mm. uh, Half Nelson and the Blue Valentine. And Ryan during the time of Half Nelson was really, very, I think he must have been 19 or 20, maybe. Uh, he was extremely young. And he's incredible as an actor. He's always uh, sort of in tune with his character. You know, I don't know if you could say that he's... He's, he's just always there. He's always present. Uh, He's always questioning. He's always thinking about the character. And I think that's an amazing attribute to an actor. Mm. Mm. And, and it shows. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And, and how important is it, especially in Half Nelson, you know, he, he delivers so many um, great lines and just even expressions when he's not speaking. You can really take a lot yeah. from his, his look. How important is you to try and capture that? And how do you go about trying to capture that moment in a film? when a character isn't saying anything? You know, I think um, as a cinematographer, what I'm always looking at is body language. You know, more than the words, it's the body language. And I think that's where you find the truth in emotion. Uh, and I think that's what great actors are able to do. They'll be able to speak without speaking. Um, and so I would always leave the camera, you know, after the director is called cut, I still always leave the camera running for a few seconds because I think that's always where you find the most interesting more moments, just a reaction when they're when they've sort of broken out of their moment, uh, and oftentimes they're still in it, and there's uh, residual sort of emotional elements that are amazing. And you know that's why I think uh, as a cinematographer, it's, you're really there to watch human behavior and to study it. And that's oftentimes, I think, what gets used in, um, you know, I don't think directors always think about the reaction, but the reaction is an incredible tool in a, in a film. Mm. And one of the movies you just mentioned before was Blue Valentine, and you collaborated with Derek Sean France on that. Um, one of the main kind of visual representations of that, well, 
visual aspects of that movie is the past and the present. How did you go about differentiating both of those time periods? Um, well, we shot in the past uh, as a sort of two and a half week block. And then we had a six week hiatus. Then we shot the present. And the past was all shot 16 mil uh, with a 25 millimeter lens, which is the kind of the normal uh, field of view. It was just one lens and we were shooting so much that I, we didn't even reload the camera. We would, I would have a second camera that I would just take, you know, to not even to avoid the time of a mag change. I would just take another body with a mag loaded. Um, and that was all handheld. And then the present was all shot on at that time, which was quite revolutionary, the red, uh, with a Optimo 24 to 290 long zoom, um, mainly at 85 mil or above. So, you know, there's, I think there's a very different feeling between the past and the present where the, you know, when you, in the past where you need a close up, you have to physically move in with the camera, uh, having only shot with one lens to get a wide shot, you've got to go way back in the room. Um, you're definitely constrained by physical space when you're just using one lens and, a, and, not a, and not a wide angle lens. And then the present was really the camera just sort of roving and watching at a distance, this couple sort of destroying each other. Mm. And, uh, and then sorry, and then in the grade, we tried to not, set, we tried not to differentiate the two color wise. Um, and mainly that was just so that you would feel the difference between the handheld and the, and the wide angle and then the, and the long lens, as opposed to having a color change. Um, you know, we wanted to make it sorry, a little bit more subtle than uh, a color shift. Mm. And that film especially just had some just amazing, amazing visuals and, and cinematography. And I was wondering how much of that is a collaboration between you and the director. Um, how much of that is your idea of what you can bring to the film or is it you trying to mold to his vision and and the script that he's working with? You know, I'm again. I've the start for me is always understanding the director, the director's mind, and the script. So I spend a lot of time in prep. You know, going through the script, maybe asking in the same way that an actor does what scene is what each scene is about. Uh, once we start shooting in like a film like Blue Valentine, where the pass is all handheld. Uh, and basically filmed in real time and sort of live. You know, Derek has a bit of input. He can kind of move me, you know, physically when I've got the camera on my shoulder, but it's sort of just me and the actors and it's just a, that dance. And I think the finest compliment I've been paid was by Ryan who told me that he never knew where I was with the camera. Mm. Um, you know, and the camera's oftentimes like this far away from him. I mean, within a foot, two feet, in a close-up and um you know it's sort of a, a testament to not only ryan's focus but you know myself trying to be invisible and not interrupt the process of an actor mm. and, and was this oh you get first yeah. sorry i just had a quick question on that is that you know um i went to acting school and i know as an actor sometimes uh knowing where the camera is and seeing the camera can get a bit daunting so how yes. much of that is you, like you said, trying to be invisible and do you put a real conscious effort into being in certain positions where you do just blend in with, with the scene and you're not um, really showing the camera in front of them too much? Yeah, you know, I mean, I can't imagine uh, what it's like to be an actor. Uh, the closest I got was we, we did a joke shot as a kind of point of view shot of an actor walking in the room and I basically put the camera into a mirror and you saw like all this, all the, you know, the entire crew, right? All the lights, all the crew. And it was that moment that I realized that, you know, the apparatus of filmmaking is quite daunting, right? The boom, the camera, the lights, all these people sort of watching a performance. And uh, from that point on, I tried to make the apparatus disappear. Uh, I try to light as much as possible from outside or using practical elements or lights that are kind of hidden in ceilings and not sort of in the actor's face. 
you know, I'm always pushing to reduce the number of crew members on set and also to make this space for the actors feel very safe, right? Uh, emotionally safe. You know, that means a quiet set. It means a respectful set. You know, of course, jokes are always welcome, but, you know, you just you want to make it a place where the actors can really do their thing without feeling tense or apprehensive or guarded. Um, and so you, I'm always searching on, you know, how to make a more safe and protective environment for them. Uh, again, it's, you know, it's lighting from outside windows or sometimes not lighting at all. Um, you know, again, everything in search of that emotional truth. And the, the ending of Blue Valentine mirrors itself quite nicely, like with the with them getting married and then the relationship falling apart. Visually, it, it mirrors up quite nicely. Do you actually think about editing as well when you're filming? Um, I'm very aware as a director of the need for an edit point. Uh, you know, and when shooting something, always kind of panning on or panning off. Um, at the end of a scene. So yeah, I'm aware of the edit, but at the same time, like you never know exactly how things are going to get shaped. Uh, I used to plan very long and extravagant dollies in my early film school days, uh, you know, being influenced by Bellatar. And then those dollies never survived the edit, right? And so I, <laughs> you realize like, what is in your mind theoretically does not always work uh, in reality. And you just have to be aware of, you know, and that's when I start, kind of stopped using the dolly as a tool. I mean, I still use the dolly as a tool, but I stopped relying on the dolly as a tool. Uh, and that's, at that point, I sort of embraced the world of the Dardenne brothers, which was more, much more handheld and felt mm -hmm. immediate. You know, the ironic thing about that is that I, re that I found out uh, much later that the Dardenne brothers rehearsed like crazy and all of what seems like an accident is in fact completely deliberate. Mm. Uh, I wonder that too, because um, that carries out in your films as well, is that a lot of it does seem like an accident or like a, an improv moment or like you've stumbled upon some sort of success in a scene. How much of that is improvised or how much of that is you going in with an idea and then that changing while you're on set? You know, your, your ideas uh, are always subject to change at the hands of actors. Mm -hmm. uh, filmmaking is a series of compromises, you know, and you can see those compromises as either something interesting or something that's detrimental to the film. Uh, for me, I'm kind of seeing it as half full. You know, you, one always needs to be open to those surprises, because it's the, I think those are the surprises that are the magic of filmmaking. Uh, the unplanned for, you know, that the moment that in the script doesn't seem like anything suddenly becomes the crux of the film. And what I think is interesting is to open yourself to those possibilities of discovery. Um, even now as a director, I'm, you know, when I'm working, uh, rehearsing a scene and then shooting scenes, I'm finding things in the in the scene that I never thought that wasn't there in the reading. And I think that's when things get interesting. Mm. Um, and, you know, so it's being open to what actors bring to it and not sort of commanding and telling them what to do, but allowing them to show you what's in the material that maybe you didn't see for yourself. And how hard is that? Because I know it can be difficult to to come in with ideas or pre-planned notions of what you want to do and then have it all changed and not really want to let go of what was your idea. Is that a struggle for you um, to, to remain open? Uh, I would say that it was probably more of a struggle before than it is now. You know, now, I mean, I think as you get older, you sort of understand that you have less and less control of things less than you hope hope to less than you want um and it's not surrendering yourself to that it's just 
maybe accepting that reality, but allowing for something to come out of that, you know, um, which I think is a very beautiful thing. Uh, the unexpected is always what I think startles us or grabs us in watching a film. And, uh, and those moments won't happen unless you allow them as a director. Yeah. I think a really great kind of, well, it plays off as being unexpected. I'm not sure if it was, but in, um, in, in Blue Valentine, there's the bridge on the, there's a scene on the bridge and Ryan Gosling like jumps up on top and he's about to like jump off or whatever. Yeah. What, what was your reaction to that? <laughs> like, uh, that happened in real time and Ryan climbed up on that fence and we were all horrified and I'm glad I didn't drop the camera. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, again, it's like it becomes an incredibly strong moment, which was neither planned for, but, you know, you do, I think you just have to have the wherewithal when you're working as a cinematographer uh, to grab those moments. And I think having a bit of documentary training is, is vital. Um, and that's something that I would suggest for all cinematographers to throw yourself into an environment that you can't control, you know, and see what you can make out of it. Uh, because that really sharpens one's instincts. Um, you know, where to put the camera in the moments when you have two people or three people doing something that you are not in control, you know, and I, and I think that's what really sharpens you as a cinematographer, sharpens your instinct, sharpens your then ability to capture those moments, you know, like that moment in Blue Valentine, which was, you know, I think all the producers nearly had a heart attack. <laughs> Were there any uh, were there any harsh words after the director yelled cut about that? Or <laughs> I'm sure Ryan was yelled at by producers. <laughs> and spe- and continuing that talk and capturing the moment, um, you captured the bridge scene, and you also captured this really great scene in um, Greetings from Tim Buckley, where Penn Badgley singing the Once I Was song. Um, what's do you have a favorite moment that you've shot or that you've captured? I mean, I'm still looking for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, it's very satisfying to know when you're looking through the eyepiece that you found something. Right. You know, and, and it can bring tears to your eye, tears of joy, you know, uh, just to be in that moment with someone. And, you know, in those moments, you're not even thinking of it as a movie. You're not even thinking of it as a, a narrative, as a story. You're just thinking of it as a moment, as an emotional moment. And, um, and it's so gratifying. Mm. And so is that what you're constantly looking for in a film when you are capturing a scene is just looking for the emotional truth rather than good lighting or rather than the best cinematography, just what's true? Would, you know, you know, again, I've said this before, but I think people go to movies to see great performances uh, and not great lighting. And of course, great lighting is important. It's not denigrating a cinematographer's work. You know, it's just bringing forth one aspect, which is uh, you are there to capture something. You're there to create a mood for actors to perform in you know, when I'm working, I'm always trying to pre-light sets as much as I can, you know, so that when an actor comes into a room, they're always adapting to space. They're adapting to light. They, I find actors incredibly photosynthetic. They know where the light is, the good ones do. And if I don't have a chance to pre-light a set, so, you know, and then only light after the blocking rehearsal, we might as well have not done the blocking rehearsal because everything changes once the lights are on. <laughs> um, in, in, researching the, in researching you, we found that you um, shot the electric field video clip. What was it like to kind of experiment in the music video format and also just to experiment in terms of cinematography? Uh, that was... Yeah, Electric Field was a, a tremendous amount of fun. You know, that band uh, is, and the, the gang that made that, vi- that music video are incredible. 
uh, Ray Tintori, who made a great, great short film um, at Sundance, and I had a chance to meet him. Uh, is a wonderful mind, you know, and it was just like a, it felt like we were all in kindergarten with scissors cutting at a table, you know, just cutting paper and laughing and having a great time. And it was really a cool experience. Have you done any music videos since? Um, not that many. I've shot a couple. Um, but I think Electric Feel is probably the, the biggest one. Uh, you know, I, I guess I prefer sort of the more narrative world. Um, and maybe just a little bit lost, just trying to make cool imagery. Mm. Is that what you find like in experimenting? That's where you get to experiment with finding cool imagery and not worrying about performance? You know, I, it, it doesn't really interest me that much to just make cool pictures. Mm. You know, um, I think there's definitely a space for it. You know, it's just not something that I, that I gravitate towards. Um, and I think having a, some sort of narrative backbone is, is quite important to me in my work. It sort of, it ends up, it guides me a tremendous amount. And, you know, it's, I think everyone needs something to sort of grasp onto when they're trying to make something. And uh, the narrative structure is very helpful for me. Mm. And just through um, what you're saying now, it kind of leads me to think about succession and how, it almost feels like that feeds into everything that you want to do as a cinematographer in the way that it's all about capturing reactions. Yeah. And it's almost like a, a theater performance that's just being filmed. Um, and so I was wondering if that, if that was your contribution to it, or if you came into the project and they said, Hey, we want this. And can you do that for us? Um, it's wonderful that you see it as a theater that's being filmed because that's exactly what we were trying to do. Um, I shot the first three episodes, the pilot, and then with Adam McKay, and then episodes two and three with a director named Mark Mylod. And with Adam, when the project started, you know, we were trying to, the, 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 the tent poles were billions, right? And we wanted to be basically not billions. Um, at the same time, trying to do something original, interesting. And, you know, Adam's work, I think is very sort of handheld documentary style. And he gave me this movie called United 93, which was uh, incredibly, I think very accurate shot. It, it's uh, super intense, very handheld, very in the moment, very raw. And what I proposed to Adam was maybe something more elegant, um, still as raw, but you know, we ended up putting the cameras on dollies on two long dolly tracks at 90 degrees from each other with two long zooms. And we basically made filmed theater. We just let the actors go, you know, we would shoot the scene maybe three or four times and we'd move on. And there was no, you know, the funny thing about succession is actors come on, new actors to the show come on and they're like, one is my close up. And then you just tell them what we just shot it. <laughs> um, and the wonderful thing about that show is that none of the actors really know when the camera's on them, right? Because of that, and because it might be on them at any one moment, it forces everyone to be in the moment. It forces them not to think about their close-up and how they look, but how they're performing with the other cast members. And it ends up being film theater um, in this really amazing way. And I think very few shows, I think very few films, in fact, uh, are able to achieve that sense of uh, being in the moment. Yeah. And, and I think that's a, it's kind of a hallmark of that show. And it's something that I'm very proud to have contributed to. And I say that because I notice a lot, because one of my favorite moments in, in all films and, and TV shows is when you see actors in the background 
and certain reactions they may be doing. And especially in this, which makes sense now that you say they never know when they're on camera. I see so many actors in the background that are so engaged and so into it that it that makes it feel like theater, like they're completely blurred out, but you see them looking over at a conversation or you see them really engaged. And I just love seeing that because it, it is, it, it's, it feels like, was the script very, when you read it, did it seem kind of almost like a, a Chekhov play in a way, in the sense that all the characters it's exactly that. It's, it's Chekhov and Shakespeare, I think, uh, in the most perfect way. And, and that's a testament to Jesse Armstrong's writing, which I think is incredible. Uh, so brilliant, so layered. You know, it's filled with uh, pity and pathos and humor and humanity. Um, you know, and it's, I think, getting through those layers requires having all these people on screen at any one moment, right? And having, you know, you look at, you could, and I always tell the operators on succession that, you know, we can either leave the edit to the editor or we can make the edit point ourselves, right? So it's oftentimes you're on a character and then you're panning to another character for a reaction. And I think those in-camera edits are much more interesting because it's really in the moment that it happened. Um, you know, you're playing in real time, which I think is amazing instead of creating that time in the edit. And we mentioned before that you're also a director and you got your opportunity to direct on succession. How did that, how did that come about? You know, it's, uh, it's directing was always something that was in the back of my mind. You know, at film school, we all graduated as directors. I made a short film and, you know, it was only on succession after shooting the pilot that the idea sort of came to me, you know, and maybe it was because it was a very safe environment to work in, maybe because it was like theater, uh, where you didn't feel like you were talking to one specific actor for a specific moment, but you were talking to all of them and you were trying to get something as a group that it maybe felt less, um, intimidating to me and the opportunity just came up and and I was you know HBO was very uh, gracious to allow me to do it and you know I'm really happy that they let me do it and you know for me directing is not uh, a step up from cinematography you know it's uh, I see it as a it's completely different it works very different sides of me. Uh, and I love both, you know, and I'm still, even though I've directed a number of television shows, you know, I still shot uh, scenes of a marriage, which is coming out very soon on HBO uh, as DP. And, you know, I'm, what I'm interested in is just doing good work in a, on interesting projects, mm. either and, as director or cinematographer. Did being a director help you um, maybe learn more about cinematography and maybe even did it give you a different perspective of cinematography and what a cinematographer means to a project? You know, I think I've always been a, a director cinematographer. Right. Uh, I'm always thinking, I think, directorially about story, about performance more than lighting. Um, you know, I don't, when I'm on a set with the director, I never make directorial decisions to an actor, it's very important to me that there is one director on set and the actors are only looking at one director. Uh, you know, I will whisper things to a director's ear and they can take the, you know, the advice or not, doesn't, you know, I'm just trying to make the, make it better. Uh, because, you know, in the end, the better the project, it basically doesn't matter whose idea it is as long as it improves the project, right? Um, when you're watching something, no one's saying, oh, that was my idea, that was my idea, or at least I hope not. You know, I, I think you're watching it as, um, as something that has been achieved as a group, as a, you know, as a team effort. Um, and um, one, of the, one of the scenes that's quite famous from the episodes you've directed is the bore on the floor scene. And you said earlier that you found it hard to... Um, talk to actors and that's quite an intense 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 scene and quite belittling quite insane but it's just like and it's all these character dynamics 
what was it like to kind of um, direct that scene and just to go wild with it? You know, uh, I actually find sort of large group scenes easier than a scene with two people at a table. Uh, what's important, I think, is creating the environment uh, to allow that scene to happen, right? I think blocking becomes very important and that's something you've got to think about ahead of time. That scene started at the table and you know I spent hours thinking about who would be sitting where, thinking about what the possible coverage would be like and what the power dynamics would be like at that table, you know, placing Logan at the head, Kendall on his right side, you know, uh, Kieran Culkin on his left, you know, and sort of creating the power dynamic of the table uh, from the play settings. And then <clears throat> just allowing the scene to happen, you know, and allowing for that madness. You know, you, you can sort of encourage the madness, but you can't, when you've got 20 people in a room, something has to grab everyone for it to happen and for it to work, right? Everyone has to be in the moment. And, uh, you know, I think, and we shot that scene with, I think, three cameras. More on the floor, probably. We shot it in a half a day. Uh, that dinner's the once they're up and and Matthew and Greg are on the floor, um, lapping up sausages. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it's it's just about creating a, an environment. You know, one thing that I was very conscious of was the humiliation. Mm-hmm. that happens in that scene and I talked to all the actors ahead of time and made sure that they were all comfortable with what was going to happen and we sort of had a safe word in case it went too far you know uh, you know the thing about a scene like that is it has to go to a place where you cringe on set when you're making it and the problem is, is that humiliation whether it's you know in a kind of theatrical film setting or whether it's real is still humiliation, right? That person is still feeling, if it's real and if it's in the moment, that person is still feeling that uh, intensity and those emotions um, because it is quite real. And, you know, so it was just checking with the actors, making sure they were okay, um, you know, making them feel safe uh, to allow that to happen. And how did you go about that in order to make them feel safe? Because I, I found personally in in the three episodes that you directed, there was so much intensity and they carried so much weight of the show. And how did you go about getting the actors to feel safe with you and really explore the truth of that scene and episode? You know, I would say that I don't talk to actors that much. Uh, I rely a lot on the kind of off-camera actors. Um, you know, it's in that Born on the Floor when everyone's kind of chanting Born on the Floor that the sort of secondary characters, I think, make it really real. Right. right? And it was, and it was <clears throat> talking to them and explaining them what I wanted, uh, but not too much, but just giving them a, you know, you know, I just told them to imagine that you're at a sporting events basketball game and you know your team is really humiliating the other team right and you give someone something that they can sort of grasp onto and then they can go with it and you know i think just about giving very simple direction uh but you know mainly it's just about creating an environment where no one's getting yelled at where actors feel like decisions are being made where the work feels purposeful uh, that you get good and interesting work from them. And how do you, as a director of the show, how do you balance the melodrama and, and the, and the comedy? Cause it, it has to walk like the, it walks like a very fine line between not going too outrageous, but then also not <clears throat> being too serious. You know, I found that if we're ever laughing on set, then it's probably not working. Right. Mm. Uh, forever laughing at the monitor, you know, like a, if it's if it's like ha ha, then it's definitely not going to make the show, 
Um, and so it's always dialing it back to just make it feel real. Yeah. Right. There's, there's a lot of melodrama in the writing. Um, you know, it's, it's Shakespearean, right? It's full of melodrama, but then it's the treatment of it, which is basically very naturalistic and very straightforward that I think, and, you know, where each character believes what they're doing uh, wholeheartedly, which makes it interesting and real. And, and I find myself just going through acting and film school is that um, as a young person, you can try and put your, try and make something funny or try and make something serious rather than just rely on the truth. And if it's funny, it's funny. And if it's serious, it's serious. Do you put a lot of conscious effort into going, I can't force the comedy. I can't force any type of emotion. I've just got to rely on the script. And is that difficult? Well, I mean, it's helpful that the scripts are incredible, right? And that the cast is fantastic. And, you know, with great actors, even bad dialogue sounds okay, right? Um, That being said, you know, you need to be very aware that it doesn't feel dialed in, that it doesn't feel, that the performance feels fresh, that, um, you know, and part of that is just not overshooting it, um, allowing the actors to bring, you know, we try take one, take two. I don't really talk to the actors first couple of takes. I let them sort of explore and find, we don't really rehearse that much. You know, we rehearse, kind of we block it and kind of say the lines on where they should be kind of said. But once that happens, you know, we give them a tremendous amount of freedom. There's no marks uh, from the camera department. Or if there's marks, it's only for the camera department themselves and not for the actors. Uh, and so, you know, it's, um, it's just letting them do it. And then, you know, it's, it's like driving a really nice sports car. You know, you only have to steer just a little bit this way and a little bit that way, and it goes. And in directing the hunting episode, you got you won an Emmy for best director on your birthday <laughs> as well. So it was a great <laughs> birthday present. What was that? Um, what what did that mean to you personally, and also as a, as your career as a director? You know, personally, I'm so new to directing that it, I would say that it doesn't really mean much. That may sound strange or arrogant, but it, I haven't been at it enough to, for it to be that meaningful. It's like winning right. your first race, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I get that, yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say that I'm, I've had the great fortune of having been handed in a, a great episode by Jesse and Tony Roach. Um, Career-wise, of course, it's super helpful, but, you know, that Emmy is at my parents' house on their coffee table. You know, it's, um, I think it's more meaningful for them than it is for me, right? And, you know, I've never, I've never, the only thing I won as a kid, the only thing I won ever was like a calculator when I was about 11 (laughs) uh, at a a raffle. So, you know, I'm not used to winning things and, (laughs) <laughs> it, I would say that I don't put much stock in it, although it is, it's a, it's nice. You know? Did it give you a sense of validation though, uh, coming into directing and being new to it or no? No, you know, I think, uh, I, I don't think I'll ever have a feeling of validation. Right. Um, I think if I ever feel like I'm validated, then I'll probably want to stop doing it because then there's no points, you know, it's, um, there's no award that tells you that you're great. You know, there's a, I look at, I'm, I still never sleep the first night before I shoot something and I'm nervous going into every project. And it's that sort of questioning and nervousness that I think makes me want to search and makes me want to do it. And once that feeling goes away, I don't think I'm going to be doing it anymore. Mm. Yeah. And, and just finally, um, do you have anything coming up? I know uh, news just came out today that Succession has been renewed for a season three. Are you going to be a part of it? I hope they ask me to come back. 
Yeah. Um, I would be very honored to be back there with them. Um, we'll see. <laughs> but at the moment, uh, nothing, there's a couple of things brewing, but nothing solid. Right. Is there any potential for you to go directing a feature film or anything like that? Have you thought about that? Yeah, I would love to direct a feature, but it'd have to be the right feature. Hmm. Um, you know, again, like doing something just to do it is not enough of a reason to do it. And I feel like there's a lot of features out there that have just been made just because someone wanted to make a feature and not because they wanted to make something meaningful or important. You know, and I think everyone, all your work, like it, it's, it takes so much out of you. It takes so much energy to do anything that I think everything you do should have meaning and should have a purpose. Uh, so at the moment, there's no feature in my future. But if, and unfortunately, I don't have the patience to write. Uh, and I knew, that, I knew that very early on in film school that I couldn't sit at a desk for more than 15 minutes. You know, making it through a Zoom call was a miracle. <laughs> well, well, thank uh, you. <laughs> but, you know, I just like, that's not something that I've ever been able to do. Um, so if the right feature is written and comes along, yes. But until then, you know, happy just shooting movies and directing television. Well, once again, thanks so much for joining us. You know, it's a massive honor and it's, it's crazy how life comes full circle with, with my brother yeah. <laughs> having that as, as his backdrop and, and even me at oh, well, like 11 or 12 years old, um, watching blue Valentine. It's amazing. So, so thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, guys. Good luck. Cheers. Thank you. And do great work. I hope you guys liked that episode. If you really enjoyed it and you got through to the end, feel free to leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Flickers Podcast, on Twitter at Flickers Podcast, and also subscribe on YouTube at The Flickers. So, yeah, hope you guys really enjoyed it and um, have a good day.